When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. My name's Barry. I live right above you. I don't host parties. I host after parties. They're like parties, only louder and nobody goes home. You can see right here I ripped out all the carpeting because it was holding me back with my pogo stick. Man's got a pogo. Oh, I'm a prankster. I'll grease up a soda can and then when somebody grabs it, boom! <laughs> Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris at 708-478-6090. Mariska's in Crest Hill, family-owned and operated since 1933. And Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe with locations in Burbank and Darien. Visit chuckscafe.com. Let's drop the regular season damn puck. Welcome to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast with NBCChicago.com's James Navo and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Here I Chicago! Woo! Welcome into this installment of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Navo from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one, the only, Jay Zawoski. Jay, for the first time this season, we are doing a podcast after a Blackhawks game. How are you feeling? How are you doing, bud? What's the good word, my friend? Well, that was an entertaining game. And, and I, I mean, all three games this season have been entertaining for sure. But tonight, for a different reason, uh, I guess we should say last night, since this is releasing on Tuesday uh, morning. Um, but the Leafs gave the Hawks all they could handle. And I was actually very happy to see the Hawks in a game that was close to see how the defense responded to see how they held up, to see how they did. And there were some concerning things I saw, you know, in the second and third period. Nothing that's going to cause me to freak out. Nothing that's going to cause me to panic by any means. But um, there are some of the things that we predicted could be an issue that we did not see in game one and game two, those two blowout victories we saw in game three against the Leafs. And uh, 
Not a surprise. You saw some young defensemen look young. You saw some young forwards look young. And you saw some old defensemen look old. And I think there's going to be nights during the season that look this way. Uh, and it's what we predicted. But what we have learned is that the Blackhawks' offense is elite. And they're going to score a lot. I think they're going to allow a lot as well. But they're not going to. I think they're going to score more than they allow. And I think we have a pretty good team in our hands. Yeah, I get the feeling that they sort of knew that they were going to be limited on the offensive side of things this season. And I got to tell you that they are defensively sorry. And we definitely have seen that they bolstered up their offense to kind of get over that because they push the tempo a lot on offense. They are constantly going up and down the ice with the puck. And they really, I think in the first three games, have shown us that they have a lot more team speed and a lot more team intensity than they did last season. And like you said, they may have um, had a really bad time of it defensively tonight. And they made some really bad mistakes. And we'll, I'm sure, get into some of the numbers as we kind of go along here. But they are a really fun team to watch at even strength when they're on offense. But when they're on defense, you're kind of gripping your couch a little bit. And you're kind of sweating a little bit because you kind of know that this team is not going to be able to keep the puck out of the net regularly. They are a offensive juggernaut team that just does not seem to have as much blue line talent as they probably should. And it was mildly terrifying to see a team like Toronto who can equal the Blackhawks speed to see what they were able to do to them, especially in the last two periods and in the overtime tonight. Well, let's start uh, up front because I think there's probably less to say about that. Um, and we'll get into the defense uh, in the second segment here. Offensively, uh, you talked about how the, the Blackhawks really drive the game at you. They really bring it to you. They really attack. And I think that you saw uh, tonight, without Nick Schmaltz in the lineup, uh, he's a big part of that attack. And already in his second season uh, through, what, a game and a period, basically, probably not even a to the total of one game, but when he's on the ice, the Blackhawks are really, really hard to stop. He's coming at you right down the middle of the ice with the puck. He's got Kane on his wing. He's got Ryan Hartman on the other wing, both of which are capable scorers, one more than the other, of course. <laughs> but, I mean, when Nick Schmaltz is out there, it adds a dimension to the team that was not there tonight. Um, and we said it, one of the big stories leading into the season was, can Nick Schmaltz be an NHL center? He still needs to improve at faceoffs. That's a given. But right. he's been able to play two ways responsibly. He's been able to drive offense. He's been able to do everything that a center does except win those faceoffs. And now without him, you've got Anisimov moving up to your second line, which is slowing it down. Uh, then you've got Tanner Carroll and Tommy Wingles. That's not as good of a team. Without Nick Schmaltz, they're not nearly as dynamic as they are with him. Uh, and for a guy that young with not even a full NHL season under his belt, uh, to be that important to the team already. That's a really good sign. However, he's shown that he's injury prone. Uh, he's been banged up a lot already this year. And uh, if he's not going to be able to go for, you know, 75, 70 games this year, they're, they're going to have some trouble. They're going to have some trouble, you know, outscoring teams because they're not going to have that extra dimension of their offense. Yeah, it is kind of bizarre that he's already seemed to be kind of a magnet for hits. I think you compared him to Marcus Kruger the other night where he just seems to constantly get drilled every time he gets the puck. And I felt compelled to ask you this question immediately if you were going to bring it up. I was going to say, 
is that a luck thing or is that a I hold on to the puck for a second too long thing and I bring it upon myself? What's your uh, take on that? Do you think he kind of brings the injuries upon himself or is it just kind of bad luck that it just so happened to be the first two games that he got drilled like that? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, holding on to the puck for a long time, that that's that certainly could be part of it. I don't know if I saw that in the first injuries in particular. The first one, he was driving the net, had a shot on goal, but was sort of eh, kind of bent his knee the wrong way mm-hmm. uh, as a defenseman went into him. I was uh, definitely got... referring more to the second one where it seemed like he held on to the puck just a fraction too long against the uh, Columbus defender that kind of drilled him up high. Yeah, and I think that's something that he's going to learn in time is that is the timing of the game as well. Um, I don't have a problem with the guy with his sort of playmaking ability taking an extra tick or two to make a play, but if it's going to keep him out of the lineup, that obviously should not be what he does. It'll come. It'll come with time. Again, he's such a young player and a full-time center for the first time in his career. He's going to learn. He's got to make those decisions a little bit faster than he did. He's been playing... It, like we just said, it's such a high speed level this year. It's such a high intensity level. That's a bit of a change from last year. Yes, he was speedy and dynamic and all those things, but this aggressive Nick Schmaltz is something I never saw last year from him, except for in a burst here or there. He is a man possessed when he has the puck, and uh, yeah, maybe he is going to put himself in harm's way. I do think that was the problem with Marcus Kruger, mm-hmm. is that he would take an ex- he'd stick handle an extra time or two, and people would just come and drill him or. There were also times where Kruger would put himself in harm's way to make a play, to clear a puck, to you know chip a puck deep, and that's when he would get smoked. But um, I, I think it just kind of goes with the territory of not being a large <laughs> center. You know, it's just you're <laughs> going to take your hits, and uh, I think you know Schmaltz will, will pick his spots probably better when he get, gets back from his injury, and as his career goes on. But uh, all in all, Quenville said they expect Schmaltz back maybe Thursday. Uh, that's good news, and uh, they are a much better and more dynamic team with him in the lineup for sure. Um, I would 100% agree with that. I think that they are better with Nick Schmaltz in the lineup. I was just kind of interested for your take to see whether or not it was kind of a luck thing with him. Like, you're reminding me a little bit of, I know this is obviously a different situation because you're talking about a defenseman instead of a forward, but I th- it reminded me a little bit of Nick Jalmerson and how he would constantly get peppered with shots whenever he'd be on the ice he would always get hit like in the knee or the leg or whatever you'd see him kind of skate it off a little bit and come back on the ice it sort of reminded me a little bit about of that where it's like you're putting yourself in the line of fire to try to make a play and I think you could argue maybe in Schmaltz's case that it's kind of the same thing because he's putting himself in these situations where he knows he's in the middle of the ice he knows that he's going to be able to find an open winger and it's kind of interesting to see him kind of keep the puck just that extra beat longer to get a guy like Kane or Hartman open. And it's working. The problem is he's taking these hellacious hits. And you're wondering if he's ever going to be able to find a kind, kind of find that balance, so to speak, where he's like, okay, I'm going to maybe take a little bit of a shot here, but I'm going to get rid of the puck in time to where it's not going to be a debilitating, oh, God, I just got knocked out for four or five game shot it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic to see him being more aggressive with the puck and more willing to kind of take it into those areas where that might happen I just I don't know like you don't want to take that edge away from his game because like you said he was lacking it last year he wasn't taking the shots that he needed to take last year this year he is 
I don't want to coach that edge out of his game. I know we don't, we talk about the Cubs a lot as kind of an analogy for the Blackhawks. The thing I'd kind of point out here is Joe Madden always says he does not want to coach the aggressiveness out of his players. I think Joel Quenville is kind of in that same boat with Nick Schmaltz because you don't want him to hold on to the puck too long or to get rid of it too quickly. You want him to find that balance because then if he finds that, he becomes that elite center that this team really needs him to be. Yeah, and and I I think, you know, before you asked me, I never really thought of it as him holding the puck too long. I do think these first couple games it's been some bad luck. Um, Mm -hmm. But I, I think just in general, a player that holds the puck too long is putting himself in danger. I think that's... That's something that every player can learn, and every player can, um, you know, can, can put themselves in that sort of danger zone by doing that. I'm going to keep a closer eye on it when he comes back, um, but I did not get the impression right away that that's what he was doing. But now that you mention it, kind of looking back in my mind's eye at some of those plays, that yeah, maybe that was the case. It's hard to say. It's such a small sample size, and uh, you know, plays happen so fast, and it, it, it's it's hard to really glean anything bigger from two unfortunate hits both of which were the result of him you know trying to score so i don't know it's interesting it's definitely interesting and something to keep an eye on as well there's a lot of forwards though james that have been uh impressive through these first uh, couple games and i wrote about it uh this week on cbschicago.com and uh one of the guys that i really wanted to isolate on was richard panic and yes 22 goals last year but i still think there was some question um entering this season is that real is that something sustainable you know uh is Richard Panic really that kind of a player and man he has been terrific three goals now this year scored again uh Monday night in Toronto on a really nice uh goal from a bad angle Gustav Forsling shoots the puck from the point misses the net entirely intentionally unintentionally I don't know let's say it was intentional bounces <laughs> right out to Panic and he puts it in the back of the net uh, he's been terrific this year, and Pat Foley pointed it out during the opening game how Panic was on top of the team and all the strength tests they did. And, man, that has shown. He's just powering his way uh, through and past and over and under defenders. Uh, I've really liked what I've seen from Richard Panic so far this year. A really nice compliment to what Taves and Saad bring. And, uh, and Jonathan Taves is another guy. I'm sure we're going to get to him a lot. Um, but, man, Panic so far has been uh, tremendous, and I do think now we are seeing um, him taking that step in his career to become a top-six forward. That's what Toronto thought he would be for a long time, and they gave up on him, so it must have been nice for Panic to score on the old uh, team that quit on him for the great Jeremy Morin um, two years ago. <laughs> it's got to be nice to score in Toronto. There's a little bit of a smile on his face and a look at the crowd after he did that. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, I kind of brought this up in my uh, pregame post on NBC if we're both going to be uh, plugging what we did earlier in the day. Um, we should. I, I pointed, yeah, exactly. I pointed out the fact that with Anisimov playing on the second line tonight, I felt like the Blackhawks' first line really needed to kind of step up and they really needed their wingers on that line to play a more active role in the game. And I know that they have gotten their fair number of points here in the early going, but I think we can both agree that their second line has been driving the thing the first two games. They had Kane and Hartman each rack up six points, and you really saw a lot of quality play out of them. And obviously Brandon Saad had his hat trick, but you really didn't see the premier kind of play that you had really seen from Richard Panic in the early going last season. And I think on 
this game right here, you definitely saw it from him. You saw a more aggressive edge to him. You saw him driving harder to the net. You saw him getting passes into good areas. You just really saw that entire line kind of embracing their role. And I think it was maybe a little bit because the Maple Leafs maybe focused a little bit more on that Blackhawks second line tonight, kind of wanting to slow Hartman and Kane down. And I really did notice the first line more often tonight. And I definitely agree with you that Richard Panic kind of had a little bit of extra pep in his step. And he reminded me a lot of what he was able to do last season. And ultimately, that's what the Blackhawks need. They need him to be that top six guy that's going to give them two quality scoring lines at the top. Because then you're not going to be able to ever kind of dictate matchups just against one line. You're not going to be able to slow down one of those lines and not have to worry about the other one. If you've got six guys producing and potentially creating scoring opportunities like that, it's going to be a really big benefit. And I really thought that the first line did a nice job tonight of kind of being that alternative threat and giving the Blackhawks chances to score more. And I, I agree with you. You got to give Richard Panic a lot of credit for the way that he played tonight. And if he can keep capturing that spirit and keep capturing that style of play, the Blackhawks are going to be a better better team in the long run because of it. What have you made of Alex Dabrinkit's play so far? Oh, that's a uh, – I knew you were going to ask me that question today. And I just – it's been tough to tell because I don't – I'm not liking the chemistry that he's shown with Patrick Sharp so far. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like they're necessarily compatible. I feel like – Patrick Sharp maybe is a touch too slow for Debrinkit. I think there might be part of it where Debrinkit is trying to be a little bit too much of a perfectionist and trying to make the perfect play instead of the practical play. Maybe getting a little bit of that Nick Schmaltz rookie year element to his game. I think that might be part of it too. I'm just I'm not seeing from that line what I kind of thought I was going to see, and it's not it's knocking. It's, it's not it's knocking Debrinkit. I don't think he's playing bad. I just am right. not. I don't think that that they're not quite in sync, I think is what I would say. And I think it's kind of dragging him down a little bit. And I'm kind of intrigued to see if Joel kind of gives him some more opportunities with different wingers. Not saying that Patrick Sharp is bad. I'm just saying his style of play might not necessarily be compatible with what Debrinkit's trying to do. Well, it seems so common sense to put him uh, on a line with Kane and Schmaltz and put Hartman with the slower Patrick Sharp and Artem Anisimov. It just makes sense stylistically, like you said. Um, yeah, I, he hasn't been bad. And I, I think tonight was really the first game where I didn't notice him very much. He did have a bad turnover that he recovered from and got the puck back. Um, but he wasn't much of a factor offensively, and that all goes with, you know, Anisimov moving up and him playing with a lesser center and Tanner Carroll most of the night. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I, we're, I we're also seeing him press a little bit. You know, these guys who have been the best scorers in the world in every league they've ever played in aren't always great at adjusting to not getting that goal right away. This is probably the longest he's gone without a goal when you really think about it. When you think about Alex Dabrinkit's career ahead before he was a Blackhawk, he was scoring constantly. And I hope he's not getting frustrated. And I hope he's not, you know, they use the old cliche, oh, he's squeezing the sawdust out of the stick. He hit the post <laughs> at the end of the Columbus game very close to scoring. There have been several opportunities for Alex to bring it to score as well. Uh, I think he's played well so far, but I, I think what you said is dead on, that he's not 
suited for the line he's on. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I feel like the only reason he's on that line is because Joel Quenville doesn't want to say, well, we want to start a rookie with Patrick Kane. It's almost like a out of principle thing as opposed to what is actually the best fit, right? So if we fast forward two years, DeBrincat's going to be there, right? Even if his game wasn't much different than it is right now, that's just he's a scoring winger. And, yeah, you're going to lose some D with him there instead of Hartman. I get that. I totally get that. But I don't think there's anything wrong with having a line that's going to have the damn puck the entire time they're on the ice. And that's going to be the case with Kane and Schmaltz and whoever their winger is, but especially if that th- third winger is Alex Dabrinkit, it's going to be Harlem Globetrotters on ice. Yep. And, y- yeah, there's going to be a time where they take a chance and they get scored on. Fine. More often than not, that line's going to have the puck and that line's going to score on you. Um, and and I'm, I think it's just a matter of time until that line happens because, look, Quenville's got to be seeing the same things we are. He's not a fit there. And he's not going to be a fit with Lance Boma. And the other oh, thing God. is... That- <laughs> I swear to God, if Joel Quenville puts him with Lance Boma and Tommy Wingles, I'm going to go down to the United Center and I'm just going to, like, keep flicking him on the ear until he realizes how stupid of an idea that is. I don't and- foresee that. I, I think that he would get sent down sooner than he'd be put on the fourth line. You would you would think, but again, we can't necessarily guarantee anything like that considering the way they treated guys like Tavo Teravainen in the past. Where it's like, okay, look, I know Teravainen is... I'm going to go ahead and say it, Jay. I feel like Dabrinkit is a better player than Tavo Teravainen. Sure he is. And I feel like he's less of a potential two-way guy than Tavo Teravainen was. I just... I, I get the sense that sometimes Joe Quenville, like you said, gets this whole, like prove it narrative lodged in his head and I'm worried I don't want that to happen to Alex Dabrinkit and I think it's like you said I think I do think it's more likely that he gets sent down but there's that nagging doubt that's just gnawing at me that they're going to try to stick him with Lance Boma and it's going to make me just go insane it's going to it's going to make me go on some like Mike Milbury-esque rant is what it's going to do. I don't think that's going to happen. It doesn't. It makes no sense because there's no way he's going to have success. It didn't there. make sense for them to bench Antoine Vermette in the Stanley Cup final either. No, you're or, right. I know. I know. I, I just think that they are looking at DeBrincat similar to how the Bears look at Mitchell Trubisky. It's a long-term investment. They're not going to do anything to screw with him. And, and maybe, you know, and, and let's let's think. You, you mentioned Tavo, and let's think back on that a little bit, right? The Tavo praise and the Tavo mania came from guys like you and I, right? Fans of the team that had blogs or whatever, stuff like that. The team was always sort of slow to praise him. Even the broadcast made a concerted effort to not praise him when he was doing well. It was an odd kind of push against uh, Tavo Teravine becoming a star. Now, I don't know if they were doing that to protect him, to keep the pressure off him, or if they just thought, Maybe this kid's not as great as everyone thinks he is. Uh, whatever it was, it feels different than it does with DeBrinkit, right? I think you've seen him embrace right out of the gate. Pat Foley has praised his play. Uh, they've isolated on that big check he had on Ian Cole and off balance Ian Cole, but a big hit on Ian Cole, no less. Um, I, it just feels different. I think they know they've got someone really special here in DeBrinkit, and they want to do their, the best they can to put him in the right situation. Putting him with an East Mama Sharp is not a punishment by any means. Those are two skilled offensive players, but we're seeing here through three games that that's probably been the least noticeable line, 
and that's because it doesn't really jive. They're not the pieces don't match, and I think it's because DeBrincat is this different skill, different speed, different kind of player. I think Hartman's a way better fit on that third line, and I like DeBrincat on the second line. I just I like it better. I just think it's going to work better. Like I said, yes, they're going to get torched now and again defensively, but more often than not, they're going to have the puck, and it's going to look really, really good. So what you're saying is they're going to be like that quadrant graph that a lot of the advanced stats guys use where they're going to be in the upper or in the lower right-hand portion of the graph where they're fun. Like, they're not necessarily yes. good, but they're going to be in the fun portion of well, the graph. I think they're going to be good, just not defensively. I, I'm Look, if, if it's... Well, no, that's what that graph is. Like, if you're fun, it means you give up a lot of chances, but you also generate a lot of chances. Well, that's what they're going to be. If you're dull, you prevent chances, you don't create any. If you're bad, you allow a lot of chances, don't create any, yada, yada. Like, gotcha. that's... that's well, I, no, I'm, I'm more explaining that to listeners. I kind of assumed that you knew what it was, but I just, in case, like, people aren't familiar with the work of people like Ineffective Math or when she was doing, like, graphs, regressed PDO, like, that's the kind of graph that I'm talking about. All right, well, I think we've pretty much covered all the forwards, most of the forwards that matter anyway. Let's take a quick timeout, regroup, uh, and when we come back, we'll focus on the defense, which needs a bit of a focus after tonight's, I'm sorry, after Monday night's loss to the Leafs. If you haven't caught on, we're changing our format here. What we're going to do, starting with this regular season, this is our first of the regular season, is every Tuesday and every Friday, we're going to release a new episode in the morning. So this one will be made available at 5 a.m. tomorrow. Same idea on Friday morning. There'll be an episode available Friday morning at 5 a.m. We'll record those the night before if there's a game or not, and that's how it's going to work throughout the regular season, barring some sort of scheduling disaster but that's the plan is two podcasts a week for the regular season here so you're going to hear me say tonight when i meant last night get used to it i'm never going to stop i can't help it (laughs) (laughs) anyway we want to tell you about our friends at triple threat sports the best place to go in town if you need an nhl jersey lettered you need to order an nhl jersey whatever they'll hook you up there but also they're the best place to go if your team needs jerseys if your team needs outfitting you have a hockey team, beer and pizza league team. You want to get some silly logo you drew uh, on paint, Microsoft Paint, <laughs> during your break at work. They can do that for you. You want them to design something that looks professional, that looks like it could be in the NHL, they can do that for you as well. Triple Threat Sports will help you with everything you need to make your team look exactly how you want them to look on the ice, on the pitch, on the gridiron, on the court, wherever you play, whatever your sport is. Triple Threat Sport will make your team look good. So give them a call, 708-478-6090. That's 708-478-6090. Or email chris at triplethreatsports.com. Triple Threat Sports, if you can wear it, they can make it. When we come back, we get on that D. Next on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Welcome back into the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Jay and I have been talking about the Blackhawks forwards on Monday night. Some really good stuff against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Let's get to the not-so-good stuff. Let's get to the blue line, which kind of struggled a little bit against a really fast-paced, really athletic and talented Toronto team. Wanted to hit you with this stat, Jay, before we kind of got going here. Did you know that in the last two periods of tonight's game, the Blackhawks allowed 44 shot attempts at even strength while only generating seven. Now, I wonder what, and that's not good. 
That is a bad thing to do, <laughs> uh, regardless of why it happened. But my first thought is score effects. You had it, the Hawks were up early to nothing, and the and Leafs had to do everything they could to get back in the game, and they did. They got back in the game by you know pushing the offensive you know pressure from the, from second period on. But I do think a little bit of that can be attributed to score effects. Um, but yes, not ideal to get double up uh, in the last two periods of a game under any situation or any mm-hmm. circumstance, rather. Yeah. No, you know, I, I you can blame score effects if you want, but I still feel like over the last 40 minutes of a game, it's not what I would go with. It's not, it's not something that I'd be willing to kind of affix the blame to. I would be more willing to say that it took Toronto to kind of get a period to get going, and once they did, the Blackhawks simply couldn't keep up. Well, that, that would be a... my, that'd be my take on it. The Leafs are a very fast young team, and they, oh, are, yeah, they are very reminiscent of the 29 or maybe even uh, the 2009 or the 2010 Blackhawks where they are a team on the cusp of being very good for a very long time. Um, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, James Van Riemsdyk, who everyone kind of forgets about, is, is a very solid player. They've got a lot of talent on that team, a, a, a real lot of talent. And they're going to be good for a long time. And you're starting to see them with the best coach in hockey, Mike Babcock, behind them. Uh, they are going to be a tough team to beat night after night after night. You've seen it. They're undefeated. They're lighting up teams like the Blackhawks are. The difference has been uh, they've had some struggles defensively like the Hawks did tonight. Now, what I saw tonight was, and tell me if you agree, uh, guys like Ruda, guys like Murphy, some of the more inexperienced defensemen the Hawks have, I saw a lot of over-pursuit or maybe some over-aggressiveness. And I wonder if that is a symptom of being so effective offensively for the first two games that you almost get cocky. You almost get the feeling like, let's go, let's move the puck, let's score 10 more goals tonight, as opposed to getting in the mindset of, wait a minute, those two games are not normal. They're atypical, no matter how good our offense is. And I do believe, like I said, it is very good. You've got to beat defense first. And we saw a lot of times where... Uh, Ruda and Murphy and and Kempney and other guy, even Keith and Seabrook tonight would sort of overcommit on plays and get caught, you know, uh, mm-hmm. with the Leafs going the other way. And you know, Seabrook doesn't have that speed to catch it up anymore. Ruda has been really impressive, but he's not the most fleet of foot. Same with Connor Murphy. So that's sort of what I noticed, and especially when they were shorthanded, the Hawks were were being aggressive, but all but skating themselves out of position a lot. And, and yeah. I think that was more of a discipline thing than a talent thing. Uh, so I think that can be corrected in, in short order. But like we've said all preseason, there's going to be nights like this where the D's just sort of running all over the place and can't get the puck. Uh, this is our first look at it for 2017-18. Uh, and then it begs the immediate question. You've got these young guys in the lineup like your Jan Rudas and your Michael Kempneys and your Gustav Forslings. When do you decide now's the time to give a guy like Cody Franzen a look to potentially settle things down and to be a little bit more of a stable defensive presence on the blue line? Do you do that tomorrow night in the second half of a back-to-back? Do you do that when you can play him at home and kind of dictate the matchup more? When do you pull the Franzen card to kind of see if that can maybe settle things down on the back end? Well, you know, Quenville doesn't like to change things unless they lose, right? He's one of those guys like, well, we won with this, so let's sort of stick with it. Well, guess what? They lost. (laughs) Yeah, I think we are going to see the debut of Cody Franzen tomorrow. The question is, who does he replace? It's not Ruda. I think it's Kempney. 
I got I to be 100% honest with you. I think it's Kempney. Yeah, I think you're right. You've seen him take – the things Joel Quenville hates are the uh, stick penalties, the reaching penalties. Yep. And he's had his share of those. Um, I was listening to Sam Phelps and the boys do their podcast live from the Five Hole. I listened to that this morning. Really good stuff. Check it out. They mentioned that about Quenville's impatience for some of the penalties that Kempney takes, and they even speculated that Kempney would miss – Monday's game against the Leafs he was in but I think now he is looking for a reason to put Cody Franzen in and I think that might be it I think I think Kempney's the odd man out it can't be Ruta and I've liked what I've seen from Forsling I, I was a little bit worried about how he looked in the preseason and like we said about tonight's game over pursuing being a little overly aggressive I haven't really seen that from Forsling too much so I like that he settled his game down a little bit and I do think they value him organizationally more than they do Kempney as they should um, so I think you're going to see if Franzen is indeed in against Montreal, I would think Michael Kempney would be the one scratched. Yeah, I definitely think that that's an accurate statement to make. And I think that, like you said, Joel does not have a lot of patience for, you know, youthful indiscretion, we'll call it, when you're on the ice. He wants guys who are going to be aggressive. He wants guys who are definitely going to make be able to make the kind of plays that I think Michael Kempney would be able to make. But at the same time know when the right time is to do it and I think Kempney is trying maybe a little bit too hard to kind of be the transition guy on the blue line and it's putting him in a bad spot and it's getting him burned a lot and I think that ultimately what the Blackhawks need especially in a game like Monday that's going to kind of start turning into a track meet is they need a guy that can kind of slow that down a little bit and he can kind of play those wingers a little bit more effective than Michael Kempney did. And I think that's going to be why on Tuesday night, I would not be shocked at all to see Cody Franzen make his Blackhawks debut. What have you thought of Seabrook so far? <sighs> um, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I still think he looks slow, but I don't think he looks as slow as I thought he did in the preseason. I still worry about him though, Jay. I still really do think that at some point this season, We are going to see him benched on the second half of a back-to-back. I still think that they're going to look to get him rest because I still see that kind of slow first step. I still kind of see that, oh, crap, I'm getting burned kind of look in his eyes. And I think that that's not something that's going to go away. I don't think it's an injury thing. I think it's an age thing at this point. And he's looked serviceable at times. I think he's looked pretty solid. But at some point soon, I think what's going to ultimately end up happening is Joel is not going to be satisfied with what that second defensive pairing is giving him. And I think he's going to decide that the way that he's going to counteract that is to bump Connor Murphy up to the top pairing and move Seabrook down to the second to not only take advantage of Connor Murphy's athleticism, but also to get Brent Seabrook a little bit more time off the ice to kind of try to save his legs a little bit i i think he's been a step slow what do you think no i agree and, and he's gonna look like that from here on out i think just slow Brent seabrook is a reality we have to start dealing with and it's been that way for the last two or three years um you're right though I, the question is how does quenville use him and i don't think it's a bad idea to give keith and seabrook and even taves and kane uh some nights off here and there patrick sharp you could throw in that mix too uh, some of these veteran guys with a lot of miles on their bodies could use some nights off, and I don't think there's any harm in that. Look, we, the Blackhawks had the best record in the Western Conference last year, and what did it get them? It got them a first-round sweep exit 
Mm -hmm. uh, because they didn't look prepared physically or mentally to compete with the Nashville Predators. No, maybe they were lacking the hunger that it takes to be a champion and all the cliches and bullshit we talk about. (laughs) But they did not look ready to play. They looked tired. They looked like a team that was a step slow at every turn. And Nashville is not that much more athletically skilled than the Blackhawks. They don't have a lot of speed burners on Nashville. Sure, there's a couple, but they're not going to plow. They're not going to speed past you. They're not the Toronto Maple Leafs or the Vancouver Canucks of old where they're just hell on wheels. No, they're the Nashville <laughs> Predators. They play a very simple style of hockey. So I, I, I think that giving veteran players some time off, maybe it costs you a point here or there or two points here or there. But I think down the road, if the Hawks are what we think they are this year, which is definitely a playoff team, one of the better teams in the Western Conference, uh, they're going to get in. And I think you need to attack, attack the playoffs with the mindset of these guys will be ready for the playoffs. That's what truly matters. Regular seasons are great, and division titles are great, but they don't mean crap once the puck, dro- puck drops in April. They re- It really doesn't. So uh, I like the approach. I like the idea of resting guys like Seabrook, Keith, Sharp, and then to a lesser extent Kane and Taves because their importance to this team cannot be overstated. And, uh, you know, I, I, they got to have the mindset of we've got to be ready to go when the playoffs begin. I think that's the best way to do it. I definitely could see Joel making that internal argument to himself when it comes to guys like Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook and Corey Crawford. I don't see it with Patrick Kane ever. I don't think Patrick Kane comes out of the lineup unless he's got an injury. There's just, there's no way. Like, the logic of it makes sense. But at the same time, I think it would offend Joel Quenville's hockey sensibilities to take, by far, your best offensive player out of the lineup just to give him a night off. I feel like that would, I think that might kill Joel Quenville. I think that might give him a heart attack. Yeah, I'm not saying do it several times in a season, but if it's going to I think even doing it once, like even... Aside from the last game of the season, which obviously that's a completely different animal altogether, but I don't see game 50 if they're playing, say, Ottawa in the second half of a back-to-back. I I don't see a scenario where they rest Patrick Kane ever. I really don't. Well, I think you're probably right. I don't think they're going to. I I just... If they did it, I wouldn't be upset about it. And I think it, no, it, it makes a little bit of sense. I mean, it, yeah. it, and I think probably game 50 is a little early, but if it's Game 65, game 70, you have a pretty good feel about where you're going to be in the playoffs. You know things are pretty well in hand, barring disaster you're going to be in. Uh, by all means, give him a night off at the end of a back-to-back or something like that. I'd like to see the same thing with Corey Crawford because he's – I'm afraid he's going to play too much. I was actually kind of pleased to see Forsberg get the start today. Now, I know it's a back-to-back. Yes. Um, but the Leafs yes. are the stronger opponent than Montreal. Um, but I- I'm glad to see that they're they're playing him. And if it's, you know – three one you know I, I think that that's kind of a good ratio to go with yeah you want Corey Crawford to be your horse but Forsberg has shown that he is capable backup uh, the Blackhawks have played well enough in front of him to give you a little bit of hope that they'll play well with him there look Toronto's a really good team and I've, I've had this frustration uh, you know the last couple days over the Haw- the Cubs losing game two to the Nationals and everybody's up in arms everybody's pissed off at Joe Madden yeah, okay, he made some mistakes, but it's Bryce freaking Harper. He's going to have some <laughs> success sometimes. You're not going to get the best player in baseball or one of the best players in baseball or the best player in the National League or however you want to say it. You're not going to get him out every time. Sometimes he's going to hit the ball to outer space. It's just going to happen, and that's what happened. There shouldn't really be this much thought into it. 
I don't know why I got into that. You just triggered something in me, and I just wanted to yell about that because it was pissing me off the last couple days. <sighs> Are you going to yell at me about uh, hammering Madden for taking Quintana out tonight, too? Um, No, I won't yell at you for that. Okay. Look, he, I- Joe Madden's not per- Here's the thing with Madden, too, and I think we've talked about this before, and not to get off on a tangent, but screw it. It's the playoffs. Um, <laughs> everything Madden does has a reason behind it and science behind it. There's a even reason. Even if it's a he, stupid reason, there's a reason. Oh, I wouldn't even say. I would say even if it doesn't work, there's a reason he did it. He's not Dusty Baker, where he's just like going with his gut on everything, right? Joe Madden has a million equations written out for in this situation. Blah blah blah. What is the right thing to do here, there, and of course he doesn't go with it every time. But look, he trusts Carl Edwards as one of the three relievers he trusts right now. Maybe and it was four. a good. It was a good call to have him face Bryce Harper. And he we'll made agree a bad, with you on that. He made a bad pitch. That was it. it. They're human beings. They will not execute sometimes. Period. End of story. That is totally understandable. And let me reiterate: it's Bryce friggin' Harper. Okay, I'm done. How about okay. that Kyle Schwarber non-catch tonight? How'd that oh, make you feel, dude? Why does he do? He doesn't do that crap during a regular season. He ever. was he he was lollygagging is what happened, and I know that makes me sound like Skip Bayless, but it's true. He was jogging to that ball and was just gonna I'm gonna catch it, and then he realized, oh god, I have to actually lunge for this thing because I didn't run hard to get underneath it, and he totally booted it. All right, we're off on a bizarre tangent. Uh, no, we're it's not, not really we're, bizarre. We're just doing we're baseball. Taken, and man. Look, if people want a baseball talk, they find it any. There's literally anywhere else to get it. Speaking of baseball talk, tomorrow night, Tuesday night, I did it again. Tuesday night after the Cubs game, I will be on the air with Julie DeCaro until midnight reacting to game three. So tune in to the score. Thanks for the invite, jerk. I, what do you talk? What do you want to come sit in the studio with me? I don't make the schedule. <laughs> I would host every show with you if I could. We'd be full and have our own show. What? It's not up to me. What? What? Are, by what the way, how's your? Ho- what would we call our hockey show? By the way, I know the baseball one is called Inside the Clubhouse. Would we call ours Inside the Dressing Room? We call it Madhouse Radio, is what we would call it. There by the you, way, all right, yeah. Uh, speaking of invites, how's that party going at your house right now? It's pretty oh, okay, raging. Yeah. No, I've inv- I've invited you to parties, and you're like, no, I'm not gonna come down. It's too far to drive. Blah, blah. I've never said that. That is absolute. You have to. I used to drive down twice a week to do podcasts, and that's when I live further away. A, once a week, and B, yeah, you know what? Fine. What are you doing tomorrow? Not hanging out with you. I just told you what I'm doing. I'm hosting with Julie. That's nah, not a good enough reason. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> you win. Your logic wins. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's take a break. Let's regather our thoughts here. And, yeah, uh, stop yelling at each other and get back to hockey. Yeah. yeah, well, we've got some other tangents we want to go off on, including the uh, new Star Wars trailer, which debuted during the Monday Night Football game. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. And uh, we want to wish a colleague and a friend of the program well in his new venture. Uh, so before we do that, let's tell you about our friends at Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe. They're delicious. They're lovely. They're the best. Chuck'sCafe.com with locations in Burbank and Darian, they offer the best in Cajun, barbecue, Mexican, pretty much any cuisine you can imagine, they have it. And there is something for everyone at Chuck's. Uh, whether you're a foodie or whether you're a person that throws a piece of grilled chicken, a piece of unseasoned chicken breast on the grill and then eats it like my mother, 
you'll find something good at Chuck's for you. You will love it. You'll love Chuck's. So go check them out. Chuck'sCafe.com for all their specials, for all their uh, great deals, and uh, the beer. The beer list. James, you saw it. 120 Beer Club. James is a member. I think he, che- what did you say? You checked off six? Checked off six for that live remote that we did, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty solid. So you're well on your way. Um, so make sure you check out Chuck's. Chuck'sCafe.com. You'll love it. All right, well, when we come back, we'll wrap up the hockey conversation, get into some Star Wars, and maybe some Mitch Trubisky talk uh, before we're done. But uh, thank you for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is Jay Zawoski from 670 The Score, and with me is my partner, James Neville. Before we move on to some more Blackhawks talk and some other things, wanted to mention uh, ways you can help support the podcast. We have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash madhousepod. If you'd like to do a monthly uh, donation or if you want to do a one-time thing, check out the GoFundMe page, gofundme.com slash madhousepod. Speaking of that, speaking of GoFundMe, Today I tweeted a story from the show account at MadhousePod on Twitter about a Blackhawks fan that lost literally everything she has uh, in Hurricane Maria. Uh, she's got a GoFundMe page. If you want to help her out as well, it will be greatly appreciated. Um, a good friend of a friend of mine needs her help. Her name is Julia. Lost everything. Lost a ton of Hawks memorabilia, actually. Uh, not that that's overly important, but she lost pretty much everything in her life, so... If you want to throw her a couple bucks uh, in lieu of helping us out for a month, that would be fine. We'd love it. We'd appreciate it. Uh, and the Blackhawks have gotten word of her predicament, and they're going to be helping out as well, as they always tend to do in these sort of situations. So as much as we've panned the Blackhawks for their handling of some things internally, um, you know, when it comes to Hawks fans in need, they always seem to do the right thing. So I want to give props to the Hawks for responding to this situation very quickly and getting someone uh, handling it right away. So best of luck to Julia. Again, check it out on our Facebook page or our, on our uh, on our Twitter page at MadhousePod and go help out Julie. She needs it. But if you want to help us out, um, we uh, our pledge is that we do not spend a dime of our Patreon or GoFundMe money on ourselves. It's all done for the betterment of the podcast to buy equipment, to buy tickets to give away to you guys, et cetera, et cetera. It's all just it takes money to run this thing, uh, no matter what equipment we have. And we just want to make sure uh, you guys know that any money you send our way will be going to uh, increase the value of the podcast, not just to line our pockets. So, all right, enough about that. James, tonight, the Blackhawks face the Montreal Canadiens. I always get fired up when they play the original six, but especially when they play Toronto and Montreal. And now it's night after night. I'm really excited about this. Uh, Montreal, not off to a great start. Um, they're one and two so far, but not looking great. Uh, they have a five, one loss at Washington, a two, nothing loss. The Rangers who have also not looked great. They did beat the Sabres in their opening game three to two. They also did score five goals against the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Don't forget. Um, they did the, the Rangers. Yeah, they did. Oh, the Rangers did. Yeah. I thought you were talking about the Canadians. Oh, sorry. sorry, man. I thought you were, I thought you were talking about the Rangers haven't looked great either. And they look like crap against the Canadians or something like that. Sorry, man. No, I, man. I, I miss, I misread your train of thought there. No, it's fine. You're okay. I forgive you. You're fired. That's all. Um, <laughs> no, you're, now you're going to get to hire Scott Powers. Crap. <laughs> your GoFundMe money will be used to get a replacement for James. Um, <laughs> No, um, it's okay. It's tired. It's late. We're both tired. You know, come on. Understandable. But, uh, yeah, I always get jacked up to see the Canadians. They're, I think they're the team I look forward to playing the most. 
uh, during the course of regular season. And when they come to town, I try, I do my best to go out and see it. I don't know what it is. They're just the franchise that is just synonymous with hockey greatness and hockey lore. So I'm fired up about it, and I'm glad it's going to be Corey Crawford because I think you looked it up. He has had, He's had some amazing numbers against the Canadians in his career. All right, Jay, we're going to play a game here. It's right. called Over Under on Save Percentage here. All right. 940 over under for Corey oh, Crawford. Over. That is correct. He has a 951 save percentage in nine career outings against the Canadians. Yeah, but what Se- does Scott Darling have? <laughs> He's from Seven- Chicago. 7-0-2 with a 1.55 goals against average against Montreal in his career. So, needless to say, he likes playing against the hometown boys, and he will be in the net tomorrow night against Andrew Shaw and American great Max Pacioretty and company. That's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, I really I can't wait. I can't wait to see this game. Um, hopefully, Carey Price plays for the Habs, right? He's not hurt, is he? No, he's good. No. Um, Love to watch Carey Price play. I do miss the days when they had P.K. Subban. For some reason, I liked him better in Montreal than Nashville. I can't really put my finger on it. Gee, I wonder why. I cannot Mm, imagine. I don't know. I don't know why that is. It's going to be an interesting few games for the Blackhawks. You had this Toronto game. You got Montreal tomorrow night. And then, oh, by the way, Thursday, you've got your uh, divisional rival. You play in Minnesota on Thursday night, too. So, Blackhawks are just in the midst of this hellacious schedule to start the year where they're playing eight straight games against playoff teams from a year ago. And so far, they've got five out of six points. And they could fairly easily, I think, make it seven out of eight tomorrow night because I really do think they're a better team than what the Habs are going to be able to put on the ice. By the way, remember the uh, hand-wringing this summer that the Blackhawks did not trade for Alex Galchenyuk? Yes. He's been demoted to the fourth line of the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. (laughs) Not going well for young Galchenyuk. I still, I still feel like you would have had to give up too much. However, they did get Jonathan Druin, am I right? They did. Yeah. I, I, I just I think I think he'll be fine, Galchenyuk. It's just I think any time your name is, is in rumors as hotly as they were with him, uh that's gonna affect your play. I think Matthew Shane is kind of in the same boat. Right? Did you see just... Peter Forsberg freaking threw him under the bus the other day? No. It was like they need to bench him and trade him. Well, I mean, they should. You're talking about uh, Duchesne, right? Yeah. Yeah, they have to do that because they've effed with him so much. And his name has been, well, you know, we've been close a couple times. There's no mystery he's getting traded. I don't know how Mm -hmm. you find – and you could say, oh, you're a professional. Go do your job. If I knew, blah, 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 my job, whatever. Uh, It's got to be tough to go out there and give your all for an organization that you know is just trying to trade you. Yeah, that's true. It's a shitty position to be in, and I don't, you know, I would like to see him play as hard as he always would, but these people are human. They're not robots, and, and that stuff has an effect, even if it's not intentional, even, even if he's not going out there saying, I'm not going to play hard tonight, screw these guys. In the back of your mind, you're thinking, Ugh, you know, this team doesn't like me. They don't want me. They wish I was gone. Why am I going to go bust my ass for them? I, I understand that. I don't, I'm not... I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying that I could see how guys can can feel that way sometimes. And I think that's what we're seeing with Duchesne, and it could be the same way in Montreal with Alex Galchenyuk. God, you're a wuss. You need me to get your purse for you? No, I'm just kidding. Wow. I'm, ki- I'm kidding. sexist. Com- <laughs> it was deliberately over-the-top sexist. I completely agree with you for the record. So, 
our 50-50 female audience is not going to approve of that. I was being silly. I was being silly for dramatic effect. I was being hyperbolic, whatever you want to call it. However, you're going to get a column written about you. Probably. I'm no longer an SJW. I have been officially booted out of the camp for that joke. So, yeah, it's bad. Anyway, now that we now that we've pissed people off, now it's time to talk about Star Wars, isn't it? Yeah, I assume everyone has seen the trailer by now. I mean, come on. What kind of a numbnuts are you if you haven't seen it? (laughs) If you haven't seen it, pause it and come back in two minutes when it's over, and we'll talk about it. I'll give you a second to pause right now. Okay, you're back. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the trailer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, wasn't that kind of a spoiler alert? We gave a warning and a pause that we were going to talk about it. Fair enough, yeah. But, you know, you're right, you're right. All right, so you have a bigger theory than I do. I'm one of those people that I don't like to get too into theories because there's a couple reasons. The first reason is I did it with the original, with the remake, not the, you know, the Phantom Menace and all that stuff. I spent a lot of my time like, here's what I think is going to happen. And inevitably, even if the result is good, which it was not in those movies, but even if it had been, I'd be disappointed because it wasn't what I expected or wasn't what I predicted or wasn't what I wanted to happen. So I vowed. Well, I vowed after that to not obsess myself in figuring things out. Also, Lost played a big role in that, too, because Mm -hmm. I would spend hours reading fan theories on what Lost was. And then I I, I watched it. and I was like, that that was that was it. That's yeah. that's that's the conclusion. Well, I I stopped offering uh, theories on what would happen after I accidentally nailed what happened at the end of the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie before I even went and saw it. Uh, one of my friends was like, I haven't seen it yet, have you? And I was like, Yeah, I totally did. Lying, and I just said, Jack Sparrow totally dies. Just, I was like being flippant. I was like, Yeah, there's gonna be a third movie, and yeah, there's no way he's gonna. Die. And then he totally did, and I was like, Oh shit. Spoiler! Like I, it, I haven't seen I, that one yet, man. I, I, hey, it's been eleven years. Sorry, pal. You're <laughs> you're out of luck on that one. Um, but what I'm saying, like, I don't, I try not to offer hard and fast theories, but I do kind of, I like trying to guess where it's going to go, and if it doesn't go that way, I enjoy the fact that it didn't, and I kind of enjoy the ride. So. All right. Well, what's your guess? You had a pretty good guess when we talked off off mic. My my feeling, and I'm sure this is not uncommon among Star Wars, like relative novices is that it seems too obvious that she's like luke's luke or obi-wan's daughter and she's like gonna be this great jedi master i feel like that's too obvious i feel like what they're gonna do with it is they're gonna make it to where she is the perfect balance to the force what anakin skywalker was always supposed to be the perfect blend of light and dark side and she straddles this middle line, and the movie is going to be about her trying to basically, uh, I'm, I'm totally, reconcile, there we go, trying to reconcile the fact that she's got this darkness in her with the fact that she's this like beacon of hope for the resistance. And so I think ultimately at the end of episode nine, she ends up finding that middle ground in whatever way they decide to portray it as. And she, she's the one who finally brings balance back to the Force. But in this movie, she's going to have to go through a lot of the dark side part of her personality. Interesting. And that's sort of parallel to Empire Strikes Back, right? You saw Luke kind of, like, rebelling against the training. Like, I don't need this. I got to go help my friends. And Yoda was like, dude, stop being a dumbass and 
come here and learn wh- the right way to use this, right? It's, it's yeah. kind of the same line. And I don't know if I'm seeing Luke in a Yoda role. I'm seeing Luke kind of more um, like he just wants no part of it is kind of the yeah, vibe I'm liter- getting. He looks like he was hiding for a reason. Yeah, like And a- Ray came to him and he's like, oh, shit, I'm going to get dragged into the middle of this again. Yeah. Like, and he doesn't want it. And he's terrified because he knows that Ray has got that darkness in her and he does not want any part in her even remotely sensing that it's there. I think, I think he wants to avoid it at all costs. Well, I can't wait for the damn movie. It's going to be awesome. Um, I'm going to watch the trailer probably 15 more times in the next, uh, 24 hours. So I'll have more thoughts on it as we go, but, uh, I'm so excited for, it. I love star Wars tickets are on sale by the way at AMC theaters. They went on sale today. I was very close to buying some, but I said, I'll never know that far ahead what my life's going to be like. So yeah, I, d- I definitely was okay. Buying tickets to Thor Ragnarok a little bit in advance. I'm not buying star Wars tickets that early. Hmm. That's a terrible thought, but whatever. All right. Uh, Thor Ragnarok looks like it's going to be awesome. I'm not going to get into a fight with you about this. No, you're not, because you'll lose. Uh, speaking of uh, of cool stuff, uh, our friend Brian Hedger of The Athletic is moving on in his career, announced today on Twitter that he will be leaving The Athletic, he'll be leaving the Blackhawks beat, and he's going to cover the Columbus Blue Jackets. So congratulations to Brian Hedger, a really good dude a guy who was always um, supportive of our podcast, helpful of our podcast, always willing to come on the show on the score that I produce. Uh, Brian's a great guy with a great family, and I'm happy for this new step in his career. He's going to do a great job. And I did say to him on Twitter today, it's an underrated hockey market. People in Columbus like the Blue Jackets. I don't know if they're everyone in town is a Blue Jackets fan, but the ones they have are passionate. It's a really nice arena. It's a really nice area around the arena. So go check out a Blue Jackets game someday. It's a fun time. I enjoyed it thoroughly the few times I've been there. I have two pieces of advice for Brian. One is to continue to be the incredibly nice and generous man that he always has been, both with his time and with his knowledge. He's always been nothing but good to me, and I know that you echoed those sentiments too, and I really appreciate the friendship that Brian has shown me over the years. And piece of advice number two, buy some earplugs, dude. That cannon is loud. He did have a photo of earplugs on his teaser tweet of I'm leaving the Hawks beat. <laughs> you know, I'm moving on to the next great thing. Here's a here's a hint. And there was a box of earplugs, which is pretty funny. So well, that'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good luck, Brian. Uh, James and I are both rooting for you. We're both big fans of yours. Uh, and we are proud of you and uh, can't wait to see what's next for Brian Hedger. Good man. Agreed. And man. thorough. All right. Before we wrap up the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, we have to tell you about our friends at Marishka's in Crest Hill, 604 Theodore Street, family-owned and operated since 1933. You may have heard of Marishka's Poor Boy. It's what they're famous for, and rightfully so. It's absolutely incredible. They've also got awesome burgers, chops, seafood, uh, the Icelandic cod, hand-cut on premises. That's James's favorite, of course. He loves the cod. Mm. Uh, the double-baked potato, the giant onion rings, everything at Marishka's is great. They've got a stocked bar with great craft beer, banquet facilities for up to 110 people. So check out Marishka's at marishkas.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash marishkas. They're open seven days a week and close only on Christmas, Easter, the 4th of July, and Thanksgiving. So go out to Marishka's 
telling the Madhouse podcast sent you, you will leave happy, you will leave full, and you'll leave with a lot of money in your wallet because Marishka's is ridiculously reasonably priced. So go have a good time, and then until next time, we'll talk to you guys on Friday morning, 5 a.m. It'll be available, our next podcast, from my partner, James DeVoe. Thank you for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. What's it doing? Designing my new 2021 Nissan Kicks Online in the Kicks Color Studio. I give each a special name. This one's electric blue, orange, red, white. I call it the gumball machine. You think it's me? I feel like you're more of a red velvet guy. Limitless possibilities. With over 100 million available color combinations and Bose Personal Plus system. In the boldly new 2021 Nissan Kicks. Bose is the registered trademark of the Bose Corporation. Color combinations include interior and exterior colors. Customization is an available feature subject to availability at participating Nissan dealers. See dealer for details. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Is that Shakespeare? Nope. It's Geico. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Shakespeare from one of his unpublished works. Oh, it be not for awakening. Nay, giveth thou the berries. For 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. No, it's from Geico, because they help save people money. Well, I hate to break it to you, but Geico got it from Shakespeare. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.